If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheets are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or add a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheets bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheets for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com 1212. This is the World According to Zig podcast for April 5th. 2020. My name is John Ziegler. I'm the host of this show where you can still get the truth about the news of the day from a conservative perspective in this world turned completely and totally upside down. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. At freespeechbroadcasting.com, you can find a link to our other podcast, which is the Individual One podcast. Today, we put out our 100th episode of the Individual Podcast, so I hope you'll check that out. Uh, this episode of The World According to Zig might be our last, at least for a while, uh, for a number of reasons I'll get to in a moment. It's going to feature an interview with my nephew by marriage, David, who is a senior in high school. And I wanted to get his perspective on the coronavirus crisis, because obviously a senior in high school is being impacted in a way that is unique. Uh, he also happens to be the grandson of my mother-in-law, uh, with whom we spoke uh, on a recent episode of the World According to Zig podcast, and she was a big hit. Uh, so you'll get uh, more of a flavor of uh, that side of the family. And I know David, David and I do not agree uh, on uh, the response to this, but it is a fascinating tale, uh, I believe, as far as the differences in the way that uh, generations are looking at this, and specifically the younger generation and how willing they are to accept governmental authority. So that's a, a very interesting discussion, which we'll have momentarily. Uh, we were scheduled to do a second interview. That got canceled at the last minute, minute under very interesting circumstances, which I will uh, share and explain later, which will also be relevant to uh, why it is that uh, this might be the last episode of the podcast for at least a, an extended period of time. I know I've been saying that for a while, but in all seriousness, we will not be doing a world according to Zig, barring some sort of <laughs> cataclysmic uh, a series of events, which is certainly possible in this strange world, uh, for the foreseeable future. And there's a couple of reasons for that, uh, some of which are good, some of which are bad. Uh, one of which deals with a new podcast that I'll be working on. Uh, we're doing a pilot for regarding the whole uh, Penn State, Joe Paterno, Jerry Sandusky uh, controversy. Uh, but also uh, more to the point of what's happening with regard to the coronavirus, and especially here in California, I am uh, becoming increasingly convinced uh, that we are about to be totally shut down in this state in a, in a way that will be reminiscent of Nazi Germany. 
and uh, and the way that this is happening, and I get into this in, in my interview with my uh, nephew David, is that this has happened incrementally. And at each incremental step, the state and local officials have gotten no pushback, no blowback, no resistance. They've only been applauded because, after all, they are fighting the virus. And there is nothing, nothing more important than fighting the virus, right? I mean intuitively that makes sense but if you look at this from a larger perspective there's some problems with that because there are enormous costs involved in doing everything you possibly can to fight the virus i the best uh, metaphor i can come up with is there was a movie called team america done by the south park guys the guys that did the, the cartoon on comedy channel uh comedy central and uh and I think that Team America is brilliant in a lot of ways. But the opening scene to Team America, which is basically done in a puppet form, puppet animation, is that what's happening is it starts with the city of Paris. And it's a beautiful spring day. Everything's wonderful in Paris. And Paris gets hit by a terrorist attack. And in an effort to defeat the terrorists, Team America comes in and they fight the terrorists, but boy, they're using all sorts of weapons. I mean, they're, they're blowing everything to bits in an effort to defeat the evil terrorists. And at the end of the opening scene, the terrorists have been uh, fought back or defeated, but there's nothing left of Paris. And Team America celebrates their victory and basically says to the people of Paris, you're welcome, we saved your city. And the people of Paris look around and go, gee, thanks, there's nothing left of Paris. And I, I feel very strongly that that's uh, a good metaphor for what is happening with regard to the coronavirus, just to be clear, because this gets misinterpreted all the time. I am not in any way, shape, or form saying that this is not serious, should not be taken seriously, seriously they, that we shouldn't be taking precautions. I'm all in favor of urging social distancing. I'm all in favor of everyone washing their hands, not touching their faces, uh, being as careful as possible, isolating older people or people who are more vulnerable to this, not having large crowds. If you want to close restaurants and schools, okay, at least temporarily. I'm, all fi I'm fine with all that. But it's this fascist uh, uh, direction that we're heading for nonsensical reasons, reasons that will do nothing to flatten the curve or prevent the spread of the virus, uh, that are really just examples of out-of-control tyranny that have me very, very concerned. And it's partially nationwide, but it's, I think, worse here in California. Uh, and, and it's ironically, it's worse here in California because we don't have a massive virus problem. That's how upside down everything is. Currently, we have about 14,000 confirmed cases in a state of 40 million people. This is after enormous amounts of new testing. This is after about five or six weeks of the virus uh, being tested here and existing after our first confirmed case, although there are still people, and I think this is a rational theory, that believes that California may have been exposed to this sooner than everybody else. We don't know that. There's no direct evidence to support that. But anecdotally, there's some pretty strong uh, indications and some logic that maybe, maybe California has actually been dealing with this longer than everybody else or other elements of the state. And uh, and the fact that we're not still having a massive outbreak should be seen uh, from that 
within that prism or through that prism and that we're not going to be like new york uh, new york is what's driving so much of this fear but here in california we have a, a confluence of circumstances one of them is that everyone is praising the shutdown because our numbers are lower even though our numbers might be lower for a lot of reasons that have nothing to do with the shutdown especially since the shutdown only happened a little over two weeks ago. We're still getting statistics from before the shutdown. It takes two to four weeks from the time someone gets this to the time they become a statistic. So we don't know yet uh, whether or not we can compare the statistics pre-shutdown to post-shutdown to determine does it have any real impact. And what's one of the more baffling elements of this whole thing to me is that the premise among our leaders is that this isn't going to uh, help us avoid the virus it's only at best going to help delay the inevitable and it might actually delay the inevitable to a point where the the harm uh, defeats the good that we're prolonging or elongating the suffering here economically as well as from a mental health standpoint and by the way the mental health uh, uh, will absolutely uh, trickle into medical health through suicides and domestic abuse, domestic murders, all sorts of other terrible things. By the way, no one wants to talk about all the people that are not allowed to have surgeries because we're waiting for this coronavirus surge that hasn't happened yet. How many people are going to die because of that? Or have their lives greatly negatively impacted and their health negatively impacted because of that? And there were several things that happened over the last couple of days here in California which have really um, depressed and terrified both me and my wife, who is a lifelong California resident who has never wanted to leave here, uh, partially because she still has family here and her parents are still alive, uh, but partially because she's always loved California. Well, last night she uh, demanded of me that we are leaving California. Uh, we we don't know when we don't know how uh, you know we're we're thinking about figuring out a way to get the heck out of here in the short run just to escape for the next uh, few weeks if at all possible we don't know if there's even a place we can go uh, but also in the long run she now wants to move now whether or not she'll change her mind or not I don't know but uh, what has happened here is that these incremental violations of our liberty and freedom have continued unabated with no restriction, with no blowback, no resistance, only applause. And so even though the situation on the ground has not changed at all, there's been no surge at all at any level. Hospitalizations, confirmed cases, deaths, nothing. We do not have currently a massive problem in California. Will that change? I don't know. It could. We could end up like New York. I have strong reasons to believe that we won't. But, uh, but currently, that's not the case. But because the shutdown is being praised, because our numbers are lower, it's actually causing the government to crack down further. It's like a drug, especially when you're dealing with almost all liberal fascists in charge, including our governor, Gavin Newsom. And the local officials are all just taking the cue from him, and they're all trying to one-up each other. People are being arrested for paddleboarding and fined a lot of money. Surfers are being arrested and fined a lot of money. Um, there, I've had my own situation, which I find to be 
absolutely uh, uh, horrifying from a constitutional standpoint. Now, most people aren't sympathetic to it because it involves the game of golf. And golf is considered elitist, and you're a rich guy, which I'm not, and that somehow our constitutional rights don't matter if you're a golfer. But uh, this week, I've been constantly waiting. And one of the more agonizing aspects of the shutdown has been the constant fear of the next shoe dropping. What right are they going to take away next? And, and knowing it's going to happen, but never knowing when. And so uh, the, the private golf course where I'm a member uh, had been able to maintain itself, uh, maintain being open with, with some exceptions because they shut down as a business. Golf is obviously not an essential business, but they shut down the business aspects. No money changing hands. All it is is private property being open for members, freedom of association, to walk on. That's all they did. No no commerce, no business, no nothing. And over the last couple days, the sheriff's office in our county literally came and shut down private golf courses with no commerce going on they're not businesses this is a matter of allowing people to walk on private property and that is now being prevented by law enforcement under the threat of prosecution and fine that's not america especially in a county where there's no emergency now technically i guess there's an emergency but it's not based in reality My county has had a total of 45 people hospitalized because of coronavirus over the last month. Currently, there are 27 people, as of last count, hospitalized in my county, Ventura County, California, just north of Los Angeles, with the coronavirus. 850,000-plus people in the county. 27 are currently in the hospital. There There is no emergency. And this infuriated me, not... Uh, because of the golf aspect, all they will admit, uh, being able to go and walk a few holes of golf was my one respite. It was what my one piece of hope. It was my one place where I could exercise, I could get away from the insanity and keep some semblance of normalcy. So from a psychological standpoint, it was a crushing blow, but I was more concerned about the constitutional impact of this. And so, of course, me being me, I investigated it and I called the sheriff's department and boy, did hilarity ensue. Because first of all, trying to find the person who actually made this decision was impossible. It was impossible to find out who did uh, make this decision. Um, But along the way, I had a couple of very human Humorous conversations. Uh, the most humorous was probably with the person who was in charge of the compliance office. There's actually a compliance, a, a, a COVID-19 compliance office that has been set up where people can call in with their complaints about those who are not adhering to the rules. So I was advised to call them to get a comment because I'm thinking about writing a a column about this. uh, And so I wanted something on the record. And they were not able to go on the record, but they tried to to, to pass me off on a public affairs person. But here's the best part of this. So when I finally realized what this person was in charge of at the compliance office, I said, so what you're really telling me is you're in charge of the tattletale line. And, he, and he's like, I'm sorry, I don't understand what you mean. I said, so this is the line where people call to tattletale on their neighbors. 
And he was silent for about half a second. He said, I think this conversation is over, sir. Thank you. And I don't know if he hung up on me or we both hung up or whatever. But but uh, when I referred to this as the tattletale line, uh, that was pretty much the, the end of the conversation. I mean, we are, it is not hyperbole to say we're darn near close in California to uh, there's a Jew across the street. I mean, and, and, and ratting out neighbors to the Nazis for doing nothing. Nothing that influences the uh, the flattening of the curve or the spreading of the virus. That is only uh, in this particular case the uh, the the constitutional right of freedom of association and the use of private property alone. That's all we were doing was walking alone on private property, and the government is now taking that away to no positive end. All they're doing is they're going to destroy, further cause suffering in the lives of many people, some of whom are older, and this is their only uh, vehicle for uh, exercise or keeping their mental health, some semblance of normalcy, uh, some sense of, uh, you know, there's a little bit of camaraderie because you, you know, play with one or two people, but you keep your social distance. And this golf course went to extraordinary lengths to make sure there was nothing that could be a violation of social distancing or anything that might spread the virus. They took out the, the rakes from the sand traps. You're not allowed to touch the flag sticks. They didn't have the T markers. I mean, the only thing was essentially just we mowed the grass. Come and walk. And, and if you want to bring some golf clubs and hit a ball, fine. And that got stamped out by people whose job it is to protect our rights. And no one cares. That's the most troubling part. No one cares. Partially because, well, it's golf and you're elitist and you're rich white men, so we don't care about your rights. I'm sorry. There is an important right at stake here. It's called private property and freedom of association. And private property rights are being pissed on all over the place in our response to the coronavirus. But... Part of why, part of why having an outlet, like being able to go walk on private property while carrying some golf clubs is so important, is that we learned this week that school has been canceled for the rest of the year here in California. Now, uh, I got heat for complaining about this. Uh, Not that this was a big surprise, but Governor Gavin Newsom essentially sentenced Every parent in the state of California, a state with 40 million people, he sentenced every parent, including me and my wife, to five months at least, five months at least of trying to figure out a way to entertain our two kids, Grace and Diana, my seven-year-old and my almost three-year-old. Diana's going to be three this week. Uh, she's been a real joy. Uh, and so we are now sentenced to five months. I love my kids as much as any dad does. So does my wife. But here's the problem. It's not just that it's five months, which is twice as long as the average summer vacation. It's that all of our weapons to entertain them have been taken away now. 
We have no way to entertain them. And, you know, for better or for worse, these are kids with exceedingly high expectations for entertainment. These are kids that are, are used to going to Disneyland on their birthday and several times a year because we are pass holders, which now we can't do. The, 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 so, so now we got to figure out a way to entertain these kids for twice as long as the average normal summer vacation with no parks. We can't go across the street to the swing set. Uh, we're, soon we're not going to be allowed even out of our house. We're not even allowed to go on, on walking paths. We can't go for a hike. Uh, there's no theaters. There's no restaurants. There's obviously no Disneyland. Uh, there's no play dates. There's nothing. There, we, we have no ability to keep them engaged and entertained. Zero. If Netflix goes out, it's over. If Netflix goes out, there's going to be riots in the streets. There's going to be dead bodies everywhere. The, the domestic violence will go off the charts. I, I, I mean, I, and I'm only being slightly facetious. I, so, so how in the world uh, are, are, are we supposed to get through five months? And, and by the way, one of the things that Newsom doesn't get is the idea of keeping hope alive. I mean, why do you announce this now? What benefit does that do? It does nothing except kill hope. It's as if, as if, oh, well, good. At least we know now we have the next five months to kill. How does that help? It's not like we can go someplace. Oh, good. Now we can go on that vacation we know he's wanted to take in May. Let's go to the Kentucky Derby. Oh, wait. There is no Kentucky Derby in May this year. So, I mean, so how does this help other than crush spirits? crush hope and and make it even more difficult to to open up in September uh, which I think is going to be a huge issue uh for for many reasons uh I get into that with my my nephew David in our interview which you'll hear shortly so so now we have no school we have no weapons we're like you know what I feel like with my kids who again I love had him on the show and Grace has been on the show many times I spend incredible amounts of time with Grace and Diana it's the best part of my life. Not that there's many good parts of my life these days, but uh, the the idea that somehow uh, we're going to find five months at least uh, of activities to keep them from going insane and from keep them from from total chaos. I feel very much like uh, Davy Crockett at the Alamo. I mean, Santa Ana's troops are out there, uh, and right now we're surviving, but it's just inevitable that we're going to be run over. And, and we have no weapons. They've taken away all of our guns, all of our ammunition. We're outmanned. We've got five months to somehow hold the fort here, and the Alamo's going down. I don't know when it's going to go down. I don't know how it's going to go down, but the Alamo's going to go down in the Ziegler house. Uh, and it might go down pretty darn fast. And if it's going down in the Ziegler house where we have a lot of advantages that other people do not have, and we're thankful for those, uh, I can't even imagine how it's going to go down elsewhere. But here in California, it's it's worse uh, than anywhere else. I mean, when, when you are uh, uh, violating social distancing in order to arrest paddleboard one paddleboarder off of malibu and a a surfer in manhattan beach and in san diego they're citing people for walking on the beaches and now they've the the sheriff there put out a a tweet uh, that apparently you're not even allowed to go exercise 
Uh, we're all going to be forced to wear masks if we go outside now soon because Riverside County did it. And now that Riverside County did it, every other county is going to be, oh, well, we've got to do the same thing. Oh, me too. Me too. Me too. It's it's a freaking disease. It, 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 it is a thirst for blood. Now that they've, they have tasted the blood of liberty, there is no going back. There is no going back. And now, uh, you know, my wife is, can, is convinced that we need to leave the state permanently. Uh, not that there's many other good places to go in the short run. In the long run, I, you know, the only thing keeping us here at this point is, is her in-law. My in-laws, her, her parents being alive. If they, uh, if God forbid something happens to them, then they we're going to have to leave the state. And that's going to have an enormous cost to us uh, from every possible perspective because she's a teacher. She's a public school teacher. So, I mean, that's going to be a, a, a ruinous decision for us on, on numerous levels. But that's how scared we are. We're not scared of the virus. We are not scared of the virus. In fact, I, I, and I've been taking heat for this, I, if you could say to me, uh, okay, John, we will inject you with the virus, uh, I would take that in a heartbeat right now. I would take it in a heartbeat. I would uh, you know, try to isolate myself from my family. My, my kids are, the young kids I, don't appear to be very vulnerable to this. Uh, but if we were all to get immune, that might be the best thing going forward Well, before the sh- crap really hits the fan, assuming it's going to, uh, here in California. Um, but you're not even allowed to say any of these things because uh, there's only one side of the argument. Because uh, if, you, if you raise any objections at all, somehow you're in favor of the virus. Which is insane. It, it, you know, it, it's absurd. We, it, it's just flat out ridiculous. Because there's all sorts of middle ground here that is being completely seeded. And we're giving up our rights. We're destroying our economy. We're destroying lives. We're creating more suffering than needs to. All for what might be limited gain. And one of the uh, areas of life that I have... I've been most concerned about, or and there's so many, uh, but has not gotten, in my view, enough attention, although ESPN has tried to do some things uh, in this realm, is that with regard to seniors in high school. Because seniors in high school, you know, the senior year in high school is supposed to be a special moment in your life, and you cannot duplicate it. There's no way to duplicate it. In college, you know, people can theoretically redo college or maybe get into their sports and athletics. They might get another year of eligibility. Um, or, but but co- high school is special. You got your prom, your graduation. Uh, you've been going to school with the same people for mu- usually much longer than even four years at many schools. And, uh, and, and you know, there's obviously things that can never be duplicated. It's the prime of your life, and, uh, and it's been all taken away. Now, some of that was unavoidable, um, but I've also been concerned about how I perceive the younger generation, the seniors and, and thereabouts, the millennials, if you will, have been incredibly passive in their, uh, uh, in their acceptance of what has happened to them. There's been no blowback. There's been no anger. Now, some of that's good. Social order has not been disturbed, but to me, it's also gone too far. And so I wanted to talk uh, to um, the one high school senior that I know very well, and his name is David. He is my nephew by marriage. Uh, as I've said previously, he is the, the grandson of my uh, mother-in-law, with whom we spoke uh, a couple weeks ago. And he's a high school senior who uh, was really looking forward to his senior year. 
uh, for one reason among many is that he's a track athlete and was uh, considered a, a threat to win a state championship in the pole vault and the track uh, season is in the spring and now that's all been gone so he's lost his entire track season he's lost uh, all that goes with being a senior in high school and uh, and the way he's been dealing with this, I, I found to be very interesting. So I asked him to come on the podcast, and uh, here's the interview that we did just about an hour ago. My nephew David, welcome to the podcast. Hey, John. Uh, well, David, I wanted to talk to you for a couple different reasons, but mainly because uh, you are currently a high school senior. And to me, uh, it is people in your situation that have been most uniquely impacted by this entire crisis especially here in california and we had interviewed your grandmother a couple of weeks ago and gotten her perspective and i was curious uh, what your perspective on all this is so tell us a little bit in just in general terms about uh, how much your life has changed in the last month and and how uh, you and your peer group is doing well i mean it is a little bit disappointing you know we're missing a lot of senior activities and stuff like that. But, uh, I mean, it's, it's not, it's not for loss. We're doing it because, you know, people can die and we, we have to isolate ourselves and protect ourselves from certain things. And sadly we have to lose some, some certain experiences, but it is what it is. It's not, it's not too bad. It's not too bad. So what is, what has your life been over the last several weeks? like what's it been like it's actually been i mean it's been a little bit crazy uh i'll tell you that um you know getting to know family and stuff again you know there's there's a lot about my little brother that i didn't really know but after playing board games with him for like eight hours straight <laughs> you learn a thing too and uh you know so what'd you learn yeah, what'd you what'd you learn about steven well, I learned that he's really good at cheating in Monopoly. I can tell you, I mean, amazing. I have never seen a person skip so many little squares in one game, ever. All right, look, look I mean, I, I have no doubt that there are positive aspects, at least in the short run, of uh, people in the family uh, getting to spend a lot more time together. But, but you would acknowledge that your family has a lot of advantages that other families don't, including the fact that uh, almost everybody in your house that's either in school or in a job where they're still getting paid even without working, right? So you, you do understand that you are in a, a uniquely good situation, don't you? Yeah, yeah, I do. Okay, so we're pretty fortunate for that. All right, so so let, let's go back to to the to the beginning of your senior year. Uh, I, I mean, obviously, senior year in high school is a huge deal for people. Uh, the second part of the senior year for you in particular, uh, you are a track athlete. You're a pole vaulter. You're being recruited in colleges. Uh, at one point, you, you know, you were being recruited by West Point. And had hoped to go there, and then you've decided to go to UC Davis. Uh, but the the track uh, team obviously is in the spring now. That's been totally wiped out. So so give me. There's got to. I mean, there's has to be a pretty strong level of disappointment on your part, considering what your expectations for your senior year would have been, and, and especially the second part of the senior year. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, 
focusing in on track, I lost I lost a lot of really big meets. Um, I was very lucky and very fortunate um, for the first meet um, in CIF, the first and only meet we had that was counted as a CIF meet. I set the school record, um, you know, but that it was disappointing learning after that that I won't be able to vault again, um, most likely, uh, until college. Um, you know, it's not horrible. I got four more years of college, and I get to do it. Got an amazing program. Um, but, you know, I did lose my super season. Um, and then, you know, losing a lot of senior activities, it's tough. It is uh, It's pretty tough. But uh, Well, I mean, but, but I, go ahead. I've, I've never FaceTimed so many people in a matter of, like, two days. I, I think I FaceTimed almost 50 people in two days, uh, just, you know, talking to them, hanging out, messing around, or, you know, play games and, it's it's fun, but it's it's a little bit difficult. Okay, but so you, but you're never going to have a shot at a state championship as a Paul Volter, which you, I know you were hoping for. Uh, you know, you're never going to have a, a senior prom. You're never going to have a, a graduation. You're never even going to uh, even have a, any semblance of a formal goodbye because you guys didn't even know when when school got canceled. You had no idea that that meant that the school was going to be canceled for the rest of the year. So, so I mean. I, I, that's got to be more than just disappointing to you, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think but I'm not the only one that's going through this. You know, it's almost every high school senior across the country is. And, you know, people are losing a lot more than we are. We're, we're losing a prom, you know, a night that we might remember for a while. But in the long run, it's not the most important night, you know. People are losing their lives and people are losing their entire entire livelihood just because of this virus and okay but part of that's you know, a circ but david part of that's a circular argument people are losing their livelihoods yeah. because we're shutting down all life uh, is i mean isn't there part of you that thinks what if we've overreacted here what if what if my senior year just got destroyed among many 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 other things that are creating uh, untold amounts of damage, some of it medical, economic, every other aspect of life. Isn't there part of you that wonders, what, what if this was all for nothing? What if, what if there's nothing we really could have done here? Or what if maybe in California this is never going to end up becoming as big a problem as was predicted? Has that not even occurred to you? To be honest, it really hasn't. I've seen some really bad pictures coming out of, you know, New York and all these other places across the country. And, mm -hmm. you know, even if, even if it ends up not being that bad, being precautious sometimes is the right steps to take. Okay. Uh, no, and, and David, no one is saying, and I'm not saying that you don't take precautions, but it doesn't, I, I guess part of what I'm bothered by uh, your generation is this willingness to just accept uh, authority on its face with no questions, no anger, no uh, no pushback? Uh, you're, you're just. You're, it seems to me like you guys are just a bunch of lemmings going along with with whatever uh, the media tells you and whatever the government tells you. Uh, you don't agree with that? Well. I believe every person should do their own research before making a, a 
a base decision. Um, but but, but, but hold on, hold on. We're not being allowed, David. We're not being allowed to do that. No, no, you see, because these decisions are being made for us. You didn't get to make, get to make a decision as to whether or not it was okay for you to pole vault uh, in a track meet, which I can't imagine being. I mean, you know, as far as social distancing, uh, pole vaulting is about as safe as uh, as you could probably uh, ever imagine, right? I mean, there's a lot there's a lot of inherent social distancing in pole vaulting, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, okay. we have to stay okay. pretty far from people. Right. So, so, but you never got to make, to make any of those choices. You see my point? Is so what the idea? It just seems to me as if your generation has just completely lost this idea of uh, personal responsibility and freedom of choice and liberty and uh, and and just in even questioning of authority that. Hold on, is this the best way to do this? Because, David, I think there's a chance. Uh, we don't know yet. I don't think anyone knows because we don't have enough good data. That that all we're doing here is elongating the suffering and the pain. That this is all. If if, if this is going to happen and it's going to be terrible in California, which currently it is not. If that's going to happen, then it's going to happen regardless of what we do. And 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 that we're actually better off getting through it. And getting to the other side, I mean that's at least a a rational argument to be made. But now we're 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 pretending that we're just going to push this off, push this off, push this off, and we're never going to get. I'm not convinced you're going back to school in September, David. Oh yeah, we're, there's no way. Oh, so you've already accepted you're not going to school in September? Yeah, you have. Yeah, and based on what? Uh, I mean, looking at the curve from you know New York and stuff, and guessing kind of about where we are on the curve, um, you know, and we have such a large population here in California. So, uh, so you think we're going to be like New York here in California? Uh, honestly, I don't know. It it could get to that level. I really hope it doesn't. But if it does, we really don't have any control of that. And I'm I'm honestly willing to trust. Um, and the elected elected officials. Why? Um, because they were elected for a reason, you know. <laughs> Why? Wait, wait, hold on. A second. Why would you trust an elected official, especially so totally and completely? Why? Why? Why have they earned your trust? Because we've elected them, and for them to get into office, they had to take, you know, they had to get voted in by millions of people. It wasn't just. You know, them all, the, all okay. of a sudden showing up David, and then walking da- in office. David, do, do you know anything about our governor here in California? Do you know anything about Gavin Newsom? No, not really. Okay. Do you, um, you, so you probably don't know that uh, when Gavin Newsom was the mayor of San Francisco, which you, you know how crazy San Francisco is, right? I mean, uh, San Francisco yeah. is, is, is a crazy, crazy city. Um, but when he was mayor of San Francisco, uh, he had an affair on his wife with the wife of his best friend, a woman who was working for him. Now, is that the kind of character that you you should implicitly trust to to uh, to have that kind of responsibility and to blindly say, "Oh well, uh, he's telling us what the right way to do this is, so I'm just going to do this." Is that is that is, does that person deserve that kind of trust? I don't know. I, I mean, it's hard to decide. Well, but, but I'm I'm really worried 
you know, and I, I have to trust him because he's getting a lot of information from, you know, a lot of the CDC people and a lot of people that are telling him what he has to do. So he's just taking action on that. And I'm, I'm worried, you know, this virus is from the pictures and the videos and people I know in New York, they, you know, they've told me that it, it's really bad and people are dying and I'm worried about my grandparents. I understand you. And I've seen the pictures yeah. of you visiting your grandparents and keep, you know, staying 10 feet away or whatever it is. And it, it's heartbreaking to see uh, the, the fact that you can't get close to them, can't hug them uh, and, you know, can only spend a, a certain amount of time uh, in their vicinity and you know, even being separated by gates and, and what have you. I get all that. And I'm all in favor of, of your grandparents being isolated because they are very vulnerable to this. But, David, you are, you're what, 17 years old, right? Mm-hmm. 18. You're, you're 18 and in phenomenal shape with tremendous lung capacity. There is nobody that I'm aware of who fits your profile who has died of this. Are you aware of anybody that fits your profile that has died of this in the entire country? Nope. Okay, so you've you've had the flu, right? I have, I have. Okay, and and it, it stinks, but you get through it, right? It does, it does. Okay, for you, that's what this would be. Now, I realize you could then give it to other people, but the, I mean, there's nobody in your house that is uh, in a in a vulnerable situation, and you're not seeing your grandparents. So I I know I, I I mean I get fear, David. I get it. I, uh, I and the fear of the unknown is tremendous, and and I don't even really want to make this about about you and uh, and and the virus or or your views on the virus. I guess I'm 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 more concerned in the big picture, taking this beyond the virus, how docile people of your age group are. You guys are being having things taken away from you that can never ever be replaced you know your, your grandfather's lost a ton of money in the stock market in theory that might at least some of it come back that might be recovered you can never recover your senior year in, in high school and i'm not saying you should be having riots in the streets but the I, i'm just concerned uh, of uh, what i perceive to be a, a, a lemming-like attitude of well you know, we got to do what we got to do, and this is what we're being told to do, so we're going to do it. Can you understand where I'm coming from on that? Yeah, yeah, I can. Um, it's just, it, it's hard, uh, especially because we don't really know entirely who to listen to, so we go to the trusted officials, um, and hopefully they have the best information. We were not entirely sure. We never will. I don't believe we ever will know what we really should have done until the future. Right. And the future is an unknown. No, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I, I agree with that. That's one of the most frustrating aspects of this. We're not going to know what we should have done until it's already over. Uh, we're not. Um, but I feel as if we are going too far uh, in, uh, in, in a particular direction that is nonsensical. And by the way, David, I think it's going to get much worse here in California, not from a virus standpoint, but from the standpoint of uh, not being even allowed to go outside. I mean, you had an episode, I guess it was this week, where you went over to the track and you were and you were running, right? Is that what you you were just running alone, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I think it was me and I think two people on the 
field playing soccer. Okay, so there were two people in the field playing soccer, and you were jogging around the track. This was the track at your school, correct? Yeah. And what happened? Well, the sheriff came down, uh, and he got on his loudspeaker, and he's like, hey, guys, you got to go. You're not allowed to be here. Um, You know, and I I left. I I don't think the two soccer people left. The two soccer people did not uh, leave? I don't think they did. Um, I, I'm not entirely sure about that, but I mean, the sheriff just came down, talked on his loudspeaker for a little bit, and then so he, so he went on the he went on the loudspeaker, meaning like a like a megaphone, or or was he in the in the in the press box, or, or did you see him? Give me a sense of what happened. No, he, was, he was he was in his car, and um, you know those the big speakers that they have like on top of the car, and they just okay. Talking so he was driving like, by. He was driving by the track, and then used his his the speaker. Uh, on his on his patrol car to say, "Hey, you got to get out of here." Yeah, yeah. And this and this was the local sheriff. Yeah, it was. All right. Now I, I can somewhat understand uh, what he did, even though I don't, I don't I don't agree with it because there was no violation of social distancing going on. See, to me, see, to me, where we overdo this is. Uh, we create these rules. You can't use the track because we're afraid that you know hundreds of people are going to use the track and they're all going to you know, infect each other with the virus. But that's not what's happening. See, to me, you you wait until it's being abused and then you crack down. But it was clearly not being abused in your situation. But I also understand this is public property. It's school property. Uh, I, I, there must have been some sort of order that uh, you weren't allowed to be there, so therefore, in theory, you're trespassing. But uh, but how did it how did it make you feel? And did you even consider objecting at all to what you were being told to do? I, I did consider not leaving. I did, um, you know. But after I thought about it for a little bit, um, honestly, if, if I'm on the track. You know, then that means that it's unfair for everybody else not to be on the track, um, you know, running around on the field. And, uh, you know, it, then they'd start coming out. And if everybody came out, then there's a chance of, you know, it's spreading around. And okay, but, but, I understand why they shut everything down. Okay, but to be clear, you running around by yourself on the track was going to do nothing to spread the virus, correct? Even if you had it, which you, I'm sure, you I, I, I doubt you have it. But you, what do you mean you don't know that? How are you going to spread the virus uh, uh, running alone on a track? Well, coming coming from an AP biology standpoint on that, uh, you know, you could stuff hits the ground, and when if people were to you know, touch the ground or something, then it could spread. And I think just distancing in general um, is a is a much better. Idea but but you but hold on, David. I just want to understand this. How is running around a track alone a violation of social distancing? Because it's an area that a lot of people could be. Okay, but um, I, but they're but they're not. I mean, and, and and this is going way beyond just your local track. Our, our walking paths in California have been totally shut down. Uh, the the parks have been shut down. Tennis courts have been shut down. Uh, um, uh, even private golf courses, which I find to be uh, constitutionally incredibly troubling, uh, have been uh, shut down even without any business going on. Uh, I mean, you you don't see where this is 
that this is heading in a direction that's already too far and has scary implications? Because soon, David, we're not going to be allowed out of the house. I, I, I can assure you of that. Even to exercise. You're not going to be allowed out of the house to exercise. How's that going to make you yeah. feel? Oh, I'll be pretty bad about that. But, I mean, I'm losing it for a reason. I'm, I'm losing it for, you know, other people's sake. And but, 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 I'm, wait, I'm hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. What do you mean for other people's sake? There, you, you, I, 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 there's no evidence you have the virus. None. And, and you're not exposing yourself to anybody else but the people in your family who would either already have it if you had it. I mean, because, you know, that's the way it, it gets transferred most easily. So, so who, are you, who are you protecting? Who does it protect to prevent you from going for a jog? People see people, and then people see other people. And, you know, there's, I mean, if you look at it, you know, if you have one friend that goes and sees one house, and then he goes to see another friend, if he was infected, he's infected two households. And, you know, there's still going to be people that aren't following the rules here. You know, there's still going to be that doesn't answer my question about how you going for a jog uh, influences the spread of the virus. It won't. It, okay, so then why are you, I mean, I guarantee you're not going to be allowed to do that very soon. And you're probably going to be forced to wear a mask if you even go outside of your house to get the mail. I mean, that, that's, that, that's what's going to happen here, David. You do, do you understand that's where we're headed? Because, and you know why we're headed that way, David? Because nobody has put up a fight at any other level of the restriction of our rights. I mean, I'm, and I'm not in any way, shape, or form blaming you, but I'm, what I'm saying is that because when the sheriff says get off the track everyone says okay i'm off the track uh then guess what they decide oh well there's no public objection to us doing that now we can go even farther you, you don't see how that, that that's the way this works yeah I, I i do see that um you know but i'm i'm willing to give some time um you know and if it is if it, if it gets to the point where I believe they've overstepped their boundaries, that there is no backing behind it, I'll be pretty mad about it. And I, you know. So what will that be? What will, what will that point be, David? What would, what would be going too far for you? Uh, I'm not entirely sure. I don't know. And, and do you believe that your peer group, other seniors, are all pretty much in lockstep agreement with your perspective on this? Yeah. Yeah, I could say that. A lot of the seniors, uh, with exceptions, would earn. I mean, everybody's in the same boat. You know, we all, we're all being told all this, and we have to do certain things. You know, obviously nobody wants to get fined. Um, you know, but it is what it is, and we just have to kind of suffer through it. And people could die, so we have to take action. You, you, do, understand you, know, pe- you, you do understand that people die, right? You do, you, you do understand yeah. that 8,000 people a day die in the United States of America of all sorts of different causes, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but this is one, this is one cause that's caused, you know, how many thousands in, you know, in just in New York. Uh-huh. Um, you know, and people are bedridden for quite a while. Right. Uh, and no, no, one is, kind of, no one is diminishing the impact of that. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just asking whether or not you've even thought it is worth the enormous costs that we are all paying 
in order to mitigate something that we might not even be able to mitigate, that we might at best be able to just delay. I mean, it, it, yeah. Does that does that not occur to anybody in in your generation? Not necessarily. I'm I'm you know I'm willing to give up some time, and I'm willing to give up time towards you know, towards the summer, but once it gets kind of past the summer, and um, that's where I will be definitely questioning. And I believe a lot of people my age are willing to, to, to listen to what they've been told, um, told to do for a little bit here, um, and kind of feel, feel it out for themselves and figure out if it is the right or if they believe it is the wrong action to take. You know, people people are up to their own decisions that, um you know, and I'm I'm really hoping that my, my sacrifice pays off and that, you know, me losing all this time, you know, some of these senior activities and such pays off and people are living, you know, people don't die. Um, well, David, I, you know, I've known you almost your entire life. You're a great kid. Uh, you know, I, I'm so proud of everything you've done. I feel so badly that you are going to lose out on so much in your senior year of high school. Uh, you know, I, I, I get where you're coming from, from the standpoint of you're trying to do the right thing. I guess I'm just a little bit concerned that your entire generation seems to be just so willing to just go along with this. Uh, because the more you're willing to go along with this, David, the less likely it will ever stop. That's my point here, is that it, it, because there's been no pushback at all, none, uh, it makes it, for instance, it makes it more difficult for schools to start up in September because the people making those decisions have only been applauded for their decisions, and people love applause. So they're going to do whatever yeah. gets them applause, and they're going to d- avoid doing whatever gets them criticism. And so now we've created a situation where people can cancel anything, and they will always be applauded. And guess what happens when people get applauded? They do more of what gets them applauded. And so it becomes a never-ending cycle. Do, do, you, do you see that at all, David? I do, and I have, you know, while it might be a little bit unfounded, I, I have the belief that people, you know, like our forefathers, and they, would, they, they see when things have gone too far. They know when it, it's gone too far, and when people see that it's gone too far, they take action. Yeah. If there's a little bit of founding and the reasons, you know, that have that have been told to us. Okay, uh, let me ask you this, that. David. Let me ask you this, David. So if, if if and when we decide it's gone too far, well how are you gonna do anything when you're not allowed outside the house? How, what what are you gonna do? I'll go outside. No yeah, and then and then you're gonna get fined or arrested. And uh I, I mean I, I mean this is a and, and by the way, our court system is already shut down, so there's no even place to go uh, to to have the courts protect you. Uh, I mean, this is a perfect storm of the the author- no one is ever going to resist here, ever. No matter how bad it gets, there will be no resistance, n- none that matters. And the media will portray whatever resistance there might be as a bunch of lunatics. And it's yeah. all—it's all because we let it spiral out of control. I—I I mean, this is not a conspiracy theory, David. I'm just—I'm just telling you how human beings work, and I—I yeah. I don't know how this ends in, in a way that is good. You know, I, ironically enough, 
I actually think the best scenario, and I'm not saying this from the standpoint of hoping for people to die, obviously, especially with especially your grandparents. But in all seriousness, I think the only good, the, the least bad scenario here is if we suddenly get a huge surge in cases and then it goes down. Because then they can claim, well, we went through the, we, we flattened the curve as much as we could and, it, and the worst is over. The worst scenario is we continue on this current track, nothing horrendous happens, and they keep telling us the worst is yet to come, the worst is yet to come. We need to keep flattening the curve, flatten the curve, flatten the curve, and it never ends. Yeah. Do you do you agree with that? Yeah, actually, I kind of do. Um, you know, and really, there's only one thing we can hope for in, in the end here, and that's that, you know, our doctors come up with a curve or um, a cure, and we're able to not only stop the curve, but hopefully if we can decrease the curve to the point where, you know, our, our health care system can take it, um, where they could, they have a little bit of a buffer there. So if, you know, there are smaller outbreaks in certain areas, our health care system can take that and still support the people that, uh, you know, they're supposed to be serving. I agree with all that, except currently uh, only a little over 10% of our hospital beds are occupied here in California. I don't know if you know that or not. Uh, and so we're ready. We're ready for this surge. I don't, I don't know what more we can do yeah. to be ready for it. Uh, and so yeah. part of me is like, okay, well, if this is going to happen inevitably, let's get it over with and, and, and do the best we can. Although I'm still not convinced of the logic of how we're going to suddenly have an explosion of cases if we're all socially distancing. To me, that tells me social distancing doesn't mean very much. So, I mean, not, well, not, I mean to be completely honest, you know, nobody's really going to follow that rule. <laughs> you know, people are still not going to be social distancing and, and you don't think people are social that. distancing david i think I, everyone i've seen is social distancing well I, th- I think a lot of people are doing what they're supposed to be doing but there are small connections between different groups that cause you know that could cause a uh, an outbreak things that cause that small connection where that small connection could be you know going out you know, people have to go to the grocery stores and stuff Right. And no matter how careful you are, there's still a chance that you could get sick. And then you infect your entire family. And then, you know, hey, that conversation I had with my neighbors, you know, that the other day, you know, where they're, you know, six feet apart, but, you know, maybe the wind was blowing in a different direction. And, you know, maybe they got infected. You, you can't stop stuff like that, sadly. I get it. I get it. Well, David, I really appreciate uh, your time and your honesty, and I, I, I think it's amazing that you're handling this as well as you, you currently are. Um, I'm not sure we're going to handle it as well in our household. Uh, you know, uh, keeping uh, uh, your uh, cousins, uh, Grace and Diana, uh, at bay for another five months before school might start is going to be awfully difficult. Uh, you got any suggestions? Yeah. Uh, whew. Honestly, just start getting really creative. Find uh, find a way to you know make them make a different fort every day. You know, pillow forts, but have them do it in a different area every day. Okay, that's five minutes. And then what, then we do after that. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, gotta keep them running, getting out. I mean, if, yeah, we're not allowed. We're not going to be. We're not allowed outside now. I mean, that's what's coming well, next. I mean, I'm, I mean, like on the side yard, you know, have them run up and down the side yard all the time. I'm not sure we're even going to be allowed to do that. Anyway, David, uh, stay safe, keep in touch, and uh, and thanks so much for your time. We do. All right. Take care, John. All right. So I expected uh, David to be passive 
he's a you know he's a laid back guy as it is, um, but but that was even more passive than I expected, and I do think it was a good illustration of some of the div- generational divide here. And I'm not even taking a uh, position on who's right. I mean, I could be wrong. David might end up being right. There might be some wisdom in youth. Uh, but what bothered me about that uh, is the utter unwillingness to really question authority, which is so diametrically opposed to what seniors in high school used to be. And uh, it's bizarre to me as a conservative who values social order. Uh, I almost feel like oh, what happened to the, the to the youth of the 1960s? You know those those hip those hippies for all the the, the all the negatives about the hippies. I don't think the hippies would have taken this uh, lying down the way that uh, the current millennials have. And in the short run, that might be good. And you know what? It might even uh, help uh, flatten the curve. Uh, but uh, it, it bothers me considering where I think we're heading uh, with regard to our society and the tyranny that we're seeing, seeing that is getting no resistance, no blowback. And when, uh, when your constitutional rights are violated and nobody pushes back and those violating them only get applauded, guess what? They're only going to do more of it. Uh, it's, it's just the way of human nature. It's not a conspiracy. It's not chemtrails, tinfoil hats. It's just the way human beings work. And that's what scares me because I always thought America was different. I thought this was the place of freedom and liberty. I thought this is the place where we had those bedrock principles and we were willing and able to defend them no matter what the situation. And that didn't turn out to be the case. And, and, and the situation that has, uh, allowed us or forced us uh, to forfeit all of these rights, or almost all of these rights, is really not as catastrophic as you would have. I would have expected. Look, I get that if we were in a situation where everybody was going to die unless we stopped this, uh, I would say, okay, you know what? Um, I'm reasonable. Uh, at a certain point, you have to give up uh, your your constitutional rights if uh, there's a if there's a cost benefit analysis. But I have not been able to be convinced that the cost-benefit analysis makes any sense here at all. Uh, it is unfortunate that people are going to die. I'm still uh, hopeful that that number is going to be somewhere in the realm of normal uh, for a, a year of an ailment. Uh, yes, this is going to be worse than a normal flu for sure. How much worse, we don't know. Uh, I, I still think there's an argument to be made that it might not be that much worse. Now, we're never going to know what it would have been because we're taking such extraordinary measures. So everyone's going to be able to look at the data and come up with whatever rationalization they want to, which, which I can't stand because everyone gets their own truth. Um, but it, I'm just very, very concerned about where we're headed long term, economically, socially, culturally politically and the virus is actually one of my my least concerns i mean i'm i'm worried for people who have it and those who might die especially as i've mentioned many times my in-laws and my father and his wife are all in the vulnerable age group but uh i I really think that we're creating all sorts of very very dangerous precedents and damage that cannot be recovered and uh it's very depressing to me i i have been um shaken to my core over the last uh, few days, and and I think it's only going to get worse. I really believe it will get worse here in California from a civil liberties standpoint because nobody, 
nobody is allowed to stand up. Nobody in the media, nobody in politics, nobody within the medical community, or hardly anybody in the medical community, and anyone who tries gets shut down and they get attacked as as if they are and they are somehow in favor of the virus. And that's a recipe for uh, disaster. And I get into this more deeply in the Individual One podcast, uh, which I heard you to check out. Now, I mentioned at the top that this is going to be the last World According to Zig podcast for a while. I don't know for how long. Uh, part of that is because of the uh, attempt finally to do a uh, Penn State Joe Paterno, Jerry Sandusky uh, podcast for the future, if and when this coronavirus situation ever uh, recedes. Uh, I think that'll be longer than most people are currently hoping for right now. Uh, but it's interesting to note that <laughs> this is how toxic, this is how unbelievably toxic this case is and how difficult uh, my road has been. And it's, it's going to seem asinine. Uh, but this is actually pretty normal. So a, a couple weeks ago, I happened to uh, be engaged on Twitter with a guy by the name of John Barr. John Barr works for ESPN. I'm not exactly sure what he does, but I've never heard of him before. But uh, he works for ESPN, apparently, according to his Twitter uh, feed. And he's written a book. He wrote a book about Larry Nasser. Larry Nasser is the gymnastics doctor, a Michigan State doctor who got convicted, pled guilty uh, of all those many, many uh, cases of abuse against uh, female gymnasts. And uh, he wrote a book uh, entitled, let's see, what was it called? Uh, uh, Start by Believing, Larry Nasser's Crimes, the Institutions that Enabled Him, and the Brave Women Who Stopped the Monster. And I wanted to interview him. Because I find the Nasser case to be very interesting because I believe that Larry Nasser was, in fact, a sexual abuser. And I think it is incredibly important to take a look at cases where real sexual abuse occurred in order to be able to interpret whether or not other cases are situations where sexual abuse might not have occurred. And you know who agrees with me on that? Malcolm Gladwell. In Gladwell's book, Talking to Strangers, Chapter 5, which is all about the Penn State paterno sandusky case and cites me uh, rather uh, extensively uh, one of the things that gladwell does is he takes a, a piece of advice from me and in the chapter he uh, examines the larry nasser case in comparison to the jerry sandusky case and there is nothing in common when there should be tons in common there's nothing and the Nasser case, I've always believed, is the best way of proving that the Jerry Sandusky case makes no damn sense. And so I asked uh, Barr to do an interview today, and he agreed. He had no problem doing an interview. It was almost actually too easy. He said, sure, I'd be glad to. Um, when do you want to do it? I said, how about Sunday? He said, sure, here's my phone number. Sure, no problem. And so I'm expecting... Uh, although I never expect these things until they actually happen because there's always something can go wrong. So um, this morning I'm getting ready for the podcast and I get a, di a direct message on Twitter from Barr saying, after thinking about this, I've decided that uh, I don't want to do this interview. I wish you the best. No explanation, no nothing. So, of course, I ask for an explanation. He doesn't give one. He says, I hope you and your family are well. And, of course, I'm automatically presuming, okay, here's what's happened. He's Googled me. He realizes that uh, I believe that Jerry Sandusky is innocent, and he's, he's, a, he's terrified that somehow I'm going to uh, interview him and attack him saying that Larry Nasser is guilty. Right? That's my presumption. So I, re I respond one more time. I said, look, John, I realize you're not going to do an interview with me, 
But you need to know this was not a setup. This was the opposite of that. I am on your side. I agree that Nasser is guilty. I just find it very interesting what a real sex abuse case looks like so that we can figure out whether or not other cases are also real or whether or not there might be a problem with them. Uh, and I referenced, obviously, you know, the Sandusky case because I was sure that that was what facilitated him uh, reneging on his agreement to do an interview. And, of course, I get no response. None. And a no response means, okay, I was right. Because <laughs> if I was wrong, he would say, oh, I didn't even know you were a Sand Sandusky defender. Uh, or, you know, this was because of something else. But no, that's what this was about. And I even ended my message by saying, you know, look, before journalism died, here's what would have happened. You would have found my perspective fascinating, especially when you read about it in Malcolm Gladwell's book, and you would at least want to have an off-the-record phone conversation about this. Hey, tell me more. This is interesting. I just spent my life writing a book about Larry Nassar, and uh, and Malcolm Gladwell says you can use the, the Nassar case to raise grave doubts about the Sandusky case, tell me more. But of course, we don't live in that world anymore. We don't live in a world where th anyone even thinks about doing that. Even journalists don't think about doing that because it's just so goddamn toxic. And no one wants to be told that they're, they might be wrong or that something that they've always believed is untrue or that a narrative that their network had deep, become deeply invested in was total bullcrap. No one wants that. It's not worth it because no one cares about the truth because the truth doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter. It's only about what is popular and what is in self in people's self-interest. And and you know, ironically, that's a large part of why we continued with the World According to Zig podcast because this is one of the very few venues where you can still get unpopular truths. <laughs> because I'm not doing this for commercial purposes. I have nobody to please. I do this out of my all on my own. I don't get paid a dime for doing this podcast. It costs me money to do this podcast. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, because of a number of factors, this is going to be the last episode of The World According to Zig for at least a while, partially because we need to take a, a, a sabbatical to tape uh, this other podcast that we're hoping to eventually do, ironically enough, on the Penn State Paterno-Sandusky case, and also because I'm now convinced that from a, a strictly logistical standpoint that we're going to get shut down by the state of California. I, I really believe that it's in, a, in the next few weeks, it's going to be very difficult for me to even get in my car and get on the highway. I really do believe that. I believe that we are going to be so restricted that I might not be even able to get to the studio. So we might not even be able to do the, uh, the, the other podcast I'm referring to. Now, I, I don't believe this will be the last episode. We'll do one more episode if it comes down to that, just to wrap up uh, you know, the end of my career uh, and all sorts of other things going on in the world for one last episode of the podcast, because we've really been doing this now for many years. It's been a podcast for the last few years. Before that, it was a uh, Sunday night weekend show, but we really started this in 2014. So we've been doing this pretty consistently for, for about six years now. Uh, so this won't be the last episode of the World According to Zig podcast, but it'll be the last one for a while, and I do appreciate your support. And uh, if you have any uh, you know, questions, concerns, suggestions, I'm all ears. You can always contact me. My email address is talktozig at AOL.com. That's talktozig at AOL.com. And our website, of course, is freespeechbroadcasting.com. As always, uh, as we end this edition of the podcast, I ask only two things of you. Well, three things right now. Uh, stay safe, but be rational. Okay, can we can we can we please can we please have some sense of rationality here? 
that's that's number one. And uh, number two, uh, if you're uh, one of those people who sleeps and you, uh, when you sleep, you use sheets, please pay attention to this important message. And then also please share this via uh, social media, Twitter, Facebook, what have you. So be well. Thanks so much for your support. Keep in touch. And until next time, my name's John Ziegler. Our website is www.freespeechbroadcasting.com. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Ugh, like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed. Ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah. They're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like, mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should... Oh, I don't know. Try them out again. <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.